Hey, every. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Talk Back at the Positive Mind. I'm Kev O'Donoghue with Ben Starr and a couple of guests. About that in a moment, but bringing you some ideas, concepts, and guests. Try and help you lead a more positively minded life. Have you ever been scared to death? Well, I just went through that. My two guests just walked in the door. <laughs> and my life flashed in front of me. Has that ever had exposure therapy? Uh, exposure therapy, there it is, you know, and my <laughs> mouth dropped and all that feeling. But yes, my guests here are going to help us and talk to us today about, you know, the only two sure things in life, right? Death and taxes. We're well, not going to talk about taxes. We're going to cover one of them yeah. anyway. <laughs> and right, and why don't we talk about death? You know, I remember uh, listening to something on a public radio station about an EMS driver who showed up at, an, uh, at a car accident. And the guy there who was really seriously hurt said to the EMS guy, am I going to die? And the EMS guy really had a crisis moment. And he told the guy, yeah, mm. you're not going to make it. And the guy was so grateful. Now, this is true. You can Google this. You can check out the Internet for this. And it's been on public radio, but this is true. And the guy yeah. said, calm the guy down. It made him feel so peaceful. He thanked him. He thanked the EMS guy. And he just stayed with him. And he said, please don't leave me alone. And probably more than anything, who wants to be alone when they die? I mean, I, I would think that that's the worst thing. But let me introduce you two first. <laughs> Getting right into because the deep end of the pool. I, I'm, I'm, I'm paying you back. <laughs> <laughs> we deserve it. You guys scared me, man, and I'm paying you back. So how's, how's that for paying you back? Uh, I have with me Michael Hebb, the author of the book, Let's Talk About Death Over Dinner. Yeah, or over radio. Or over radio, but I think dinner is probably even better. But yeah. we're going to get to that. And, Michael, because you're late, I'm not going to do a big intro on you, but I'll, <laughs> I'll read it somewhere along the line. And we have Dr. Jordana Jacobs here, um, who also is a specialist about death and dealing with death and death and romance. Um, she's a psychotherapist here in New York City. Um, she does a lot of modalities. You can check her website out. But, boy, are we going to have fun today. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I welcome both of you. Talk Thanks to us about us. the evolution. How um, did this concept, death over dinner, come to you? Because people can Google it now, deathoverdinner.org, right? It's yeah. a big organization. Yeah. How did this idea come to you, and uh, what have you seen? I mean, I think this is transformative. I think this is a negative topic that can be turned into a positive topic, and we need to start talking about the positivity of talking about death. I, I couldn't agree more. And I want to, before we go there, let's just jump back into the, with the EMT driver. Yeah. Um, and the scene that you painted for us um, and the fact that it almost feels counterintuitive to think that not giving somebody hope, even if it's false hope, yeah. wouldn't be a palliative or a curative or some sort of uplift. Um, and because our culture does have this um, this kind of division, this dichotomy between death and hope, which I think is a false dichotomy. Um, mm. And uh, actually in town this week um, is one of my mentors, Dr. Gabor Mate, 
um, oh, and, yeah. and the guy. Yeah, and he's yeah. speaking at the assemblage on Friday. Um, and what Gabor likes to say often is, the most compassionate thing I can do for you is tell you the truth, is I can give, is I can be honest. Right. Um, and so that's what we saw right there, is the great good mm. honor mm. Of, of telling somebody the truth. Um, and I think that this is something we avoid around this topic. Um, yeah is the truth. And actually, in a couple hours, um, I'll be on stage at the at Memorial Sloan Kettering for a conversation mm. um, about terminal illness and death, um, which is kind of unprecedented, the, the terminal illness space, um, especially the cancer space, would have such an open conversation mm. with oncologists and nurse and administrators from the hospital. At this late date, it's still a new concept? Yeah, to I mean, there are there are conversations about um, advanced care directives, um, you know, health proxies. Um, but to really turn and say, hey, um, you have a cancer diagnosis. Um, let's talk about the fact that you, like all of us, are going to die. Um, is not necessarily. It's not part of the protocol. Um, there's how are we going to fight, and um, you know, how do we keep hope? alive. Mm. Um, these mm. are these things are baked in. Mm. Um, our culture has a, a vast avoidance of this topic. And I think that we lose a lot because we don't turn and face the fact that we are mortal. And mm. Our lives are defined by the mm. fact that we are mortal. And actually, our, our life is given meaning by that. And so, um, you know, as we look around our culture and realize that so much of what we're suffering from is a deficit of meaning, um, you know, w what do we prescribe more than almost anything, painkillers and antidepressants. Yeah. Right. That's and nothing like a talk about death to really sharpen a sense of meaning or even for the first time discover a sense of meaning. Yeah. You know, we're going to talk and we want to ask you so many things, what you've seen, what you've witnessed from people who've actually come to these death dinners and the transformation that can happen. I've read the book and um, it made me think, who would I call? You know, if I were to die tomorrow, and we can make this real to the audience, yeah. and you do, actually, doctor, in your YouTube video, mm -hmm. that what if we move the slash mark from the middle to the end, if you have maybe an hour to live, who would you call? One call. Let's say it's you only get one. Who would that, who would you, and that is ripe with meaning, right? I mean, who does that person symbolize? I think I was doing it myself. I was thinking, okay, oh, but I can't leave out her, and so I got to call her. You know, I was thinking, I ran through like eight people I was thinking about. So. What'd you come up with? I came up with, um, I believe it or not, I came up with my sisters, hmm. which, you know, was the last thing from my mind, I thought. Um, mostly family, you know, and a couple of, well, a girlfriend. You know, and actually, but I also, my dead father. Yeah. So I think that this conversation can really sharpen, maybe for the first time, bring to people. We don't need to read existentialism, right? We can, read, we can right. just imagine our own <laughs> deaths and actually talk to other people talking about their own deaths or significant deaths or who you would call if you were going to die to really yeah. get a sense of meaning. Doctor, can you talk a little bit about um, what you've seen and what you know about this. Welcome. Sure, sure. Thank you. Um, 
you know, so even before we go there, I just I also want to comment on the EMT yeah, uh, yeah. and the authenticity and honesty in saying, yeah, you're you're going to die and how uh, truth is very important. But truth is also a certain kind of love. Right. That's somebody when you're mm. inauthentic with mm. somebody that's not really loving. Yeah, for sure. Right. So. A lot of my work is about the relationship between love and death and how love is um, is the bomb to our existential anxiety mm. much of the time. Yeah. So there was something very soothing about the truth and the truth delivered uh, with love and the attachment, right. uh, holding someone's hand, mm. being there for them at the end, yeah. uh, not feeling alone. Dying yeah. is a process that can be extraordinarily isolating. And I think that's what a lot of Michael's work is about, is about making it um, a process in which you feel connected uh, yeah. and you feel that love mm. and you feel like you're not alone. Yeah. So yeah. I'm not surprised that you say your sisters. Actually, I don't know what your relationship really? is like with your <laughs> sisters, <laughs> but yeah. uh, often we turn to family as the most secure attachment, even if it's been complicated uh, right. throughout our lives. Mm. We carry those people with us. Yes. Uh, even when we think we don't. Yeah. And right? so, so I lead a meditation at the end of many of my talks mm. where... I ask people to envision that they are, I have one person sitting up, one person lying down, they, and you hold hands. Yeah. Uh, you close your eyes and you imagine that you are holding the hand of somebody that you love deeply. And, mm -hmm. you know, you can choose anybody, mm. essentially. And the person lying down imagines as if they're dying. The right. person sitting up right. imagines somebody they love dying. Mm -hmm. And at the end of it, I ask people, you know, wow, how many people, and I, you'd go this through the great. process and you, you let go and you think about what yeah. you want to tell that person before yeah. uh, they go or you go. Mm. Mm. And it's never uh, a thing, you know, an exact thing. It's always, almost always, I can't say always, but almost always a feeling that's conveyed, a feeling sure. of deep, rich mm. love. Right. Yeah. And at the end of it, I say, OK, how many people chose uh, someone in their family? I'd say like 90 yeah. percent of people mm. chose either a sibling right. or a parent. And then I say, how many people chose their mom? And almost oh, like 75 percent right. really? of the people right. Right. choose right. their mom. And many people leave these talks saying, like, I got to call my mom. Yes. Uh, yeah. In part because it's a it's a primary attachment. Mm. It. Often moms are the ones that have made us feel most safe when mm. we were children. And when we're children, existential threats loom large, sure. actually. Sure. When we're kids, everything is the end of the world. We have no idea mm. how to take care of ourselves. Yes. Um, so our mothers are often the ones that make us feel safe in those times. Sure, sure. Yeah, and I was amazed, like, the clarity and individuality of each of my sisters came through to me. You know, I was like, what I was appreciating about you specifically, like, mm. spe specific moments of loving them, you know, which I haven't shared with them or said to them mm. in 30 years. What's keeping you from well, saying you know, it? Well, I'm a coward and I'm Irish. <laughs> <laughs> but that's an important uh, point that uh, Jordana brings up is yeah. um, it's one thing to imagine who you'd call. It's another thing yeah. to think about what you would say. 
And then there's the further question, which we ask at death dinners um, when we're using this line of questioning, is why haven't you called them and told them those things? Um, what's holding you back? Because that is a death. Sure. I can only tell you that for me to say those words out loud would have felt like a death. Yeah. It would have been gone against all the pride that I've had about my separation from them yeah. and, and, and my righteousness. Mm. I'm, I'm telling you, I played this out. Yeah. I'm I'm inviting the audience to do this. You can do it in your car, you can do it anywhere. You you do it over dinner with somebody, <laughs> right. but who would you call? What would come up for you? What would the barrier be to talk to actually tell those people um and what do they symbolize? That's what I took away from it. Wow, each of them symbolized something very different and as I left this planet, I wanted to name the importance of those things that they embodied. Each one of my sisters embodied something different. Um, but everything about it was positive. Right. So I wanted to know that I was, and I didn't know this when I started this exercise, but I wanted to know that I was leaving the planet saying goodbye to good people. Mm. Hmm. So it, things got really clear. That's all I can say. It was very clarifying. And uh, again, I mean, yeah. Why don't I would be the natural next step. They have Do to they, they have to, to go this? they have to go first. <laughs> <laughs> Do they listen to this? I'm Will kidding. they hear I, this? Uh, they might. I might turn them on to this. They might. Um, we're <laughs> You're gonna welcome. we're gonna take we're go yeah, I hope you guys don't mind. We're gonna take calls today. Yeah, of course. All right. So two one two seven five seven five 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 five. We have Michael Hebb, the author of Let's Talk About Death Over Dinner. And Jordana Jacobs, Dr. Jordana Jacobs, uh, here talk about death and romance. I mean, I, that and love, because it struck me that EMT worker was loving, and that's one thing about death. There's no lying in death. There's no time for lying. Lying is a luxury of the living. Yeah. But death is there's nothing but honesty with people that are dying. If you're dying, if you're dying, do you want to stop your lies? How about dropping the mask, right? Then. Imagine having like six months to live and and being able to. I was a phony all my life, but I'm I'm gonna die at least. Yeah, we with can integrity. do this work at any point. Do this work. That's You're listening idea. to WBAI, the Positive Mind, 99.5, on your dial. Um, I'm speaking here with Michael Hebb, the author of Let's Talk About Death Over Dinner, and Dr. Jordana Jacobs. Um, you can reach us here at two one two seven five seven five 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 five. Have you been tr transformed by talking about death or witnessing a death? How about your dying parents? I mean, what comes out then, Michael? Um, have you been to dinners where people talk about painful deaths and the transforming power of deaths? Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, and I mean, I'm happy to speak a bit to how this project came into being through that lens as well. Yeah. Um, and you know the th the fact is um i i have been i've been hosting dinners for a long time um and realized yeah. that 200,000 um, no you haven't been hosting 200,000 i know but there've been over 200,000 of these dinners over 200,000 right? of the death dinners yeah. yeah but for the last 20 years my background's actually in architecture and then i decided that the table was this in some ways like the first architecture um and so instead of having to build buildings i could just gather people around the table and give them a powerful experience Beautiful. you know Beautiful. for with a for uh, a lot smaller budget, <laughs> as it were. Yeah, sure. Um, and then kind of, uh, it, it well, not kind of, but very clearly realized after um, several years of just driving people back to the table, because, you know, 20% of 
meals are eaten in the car in America and mm. more eaten on the couch and um, all of these things we've we've kind of lost the 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 ritual around we've forgotten how to eat people together. do not eat dinner together yeah they do not sit in the same room like they did 30 years ago yeah um, and so and you know a lot of my work was in the beginning was just how do we um, entice people back to the table and have a powerful, memorable, mm. um, deep experience. And then what I realized was that there was tremendous healing potential in the ritual. Um, and there always has been. Um, that the dinner table has the um, opportunity to be a healing environment. It could also be a very divisive, of course. Um, disempowered environment, um, mm. depending upon your family or your friend um, yeah. constructs and dynamics. But um, by and large, it can be this incredibly healing environment. And I started to realize that the harder... Um, the topics were the more taboo, um, the more um, likely people to be triggered by the topics, right. um, the more opportunity there was for healing. Mm. Um, and a dinner table and a dinner is different than the type of work that um, Jordana does um, with you know one on one uh, with mm-hmm. with patients. Mm. Um, and but it it still has its healing potential. Um, sure. And just like you want to, I imagine in your practice, bring people to those trigger points, get into there, understand where their traumas are, understand where they're having difficulty. Um, the dinner table, um, if you you know point it towards those things mm. um, and create a safe environment for people. Um, you get a different type of healing, but it's it can be very powerful, and you can be heard by your community. Mm. Um, it's not in isolation. You get to have your, mm. you know, especially with the topic around death, you get to have your loved ones and friends hear the nuanced, um, you know, vision you have, fears you have, hopes you have, mm-hmm. aspirations you have for your end of life. They can actually understand the quality um, and the color and texture pr- mm. of, of what you want mm-hmm. and then have the opportunity to um, honor you with that wow, when the time comes. We'll get to this point where you actually lied in a coffin yeah. <laughs> at your, on your 40th birthday. Now we're losing colors. Uh, no, <laughs> <laughs> and designed, uh, designed your own coffin and had a party. Uh, we'll talk more about that, but I'm curious, uh, because this is a broader thing, um, do you have a structure? So you want to transform the American dinner table. Yeah, and in that was my first small goal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then I was like, well, let's change the way that we die, you know, one conversation yeah, at a time. Yeah, so sure. that was like goal, small goal number two. Right. Um, but, yeah. But, I mean, we could get callers talking about them missing their their family dinner table. Yeah. Um, and trying to design their own with their kids. I mean, parents are f- afraid that they're just not interesting to their kids. And kids most often don't care what their parents think. How do you bring these two together um, at the table to talk about meaningful stuff? Let's leave death away uh, aside for a second. What was your first kind of thought about how do I bring these people together? Is there a structure? I mean, I know some fathers, some families where, um, and this still goes on probably in New England somewhere, where they read, a, you know, one person reads a book after the meal or before the meal. They'll read a story, read a poem, read something. It strikes me as something really focusing, a real interesting mm-hmm. thing. What did you come up with, I mean, when you started out in this? Well, for one, it these aren't things that often happen just um, randomly. 
Um, it isn't that we mm-hmm. end up in deep existential emotional dialogue at the dinner table um, just, uh, you know, because it's a Tuesday. Right. Um, right. It, we tend to talk about things that um, we feel are um, easier topics as, as a kind of default. Sure. You know, um, sure. the weather, how was school today, what did you learn, mm-hmm. um, not what is your existential dread, Jimmy. Yeah. Um, you know, like... <laughs> yeah, sure. And so um. we need help. We need people to help us design, um, people to blame. You know, a blamable third party is kind of what I consider mm. ourselves. Like, what? who are these crazy people that decided that we should have a conversation about death mm. over dinner mm. then... What, and then there's a pause, and it's like, let's do it. You know, like, <laughs> yeah, sure, sure. <laughs> and, um, the name is Michael Hebb, the author of the book, Let's <laughs> Talk About Death Over Dinner. It's, it's his fault. It's his fault, <laughs> his idea. But it started out of a broader idea of how do I get Americans to talk to each other again at the dinner table. Um, I mean, I think some of the fondest memories in my life, and I'll ask you, Ben, um, were at my family dinner table when I was young. I mean, the food was great, but no, it was the chaos and the unexpected and the uh, spontaneity of it. That spontaneity is gone when you go and live in your own apartment. Yeah. You know, so um, I think you had a broad vision here, and I'm just, uh, I mean, maybe not every night of the week. I would say like Mondays and Thursdays. Yeah. You know, we're going to have a serious, you know, a more serious topic, and you, some of the kids can pitch in and come up with their own ideas, but. I mean, did you envision kind of uh, a structure of how to conduct these? I know you got a structure for yeah. death over dinner, but I mean, before this one came through. Well, we've done dinners on lots of different topics. Um, actually, with Gabor, we built, um, as a partner, we built drugs over dinner to have a conversation Fantastic. about addiction. Does anybody know that out there? Everybody knows Gabor Mate, what, the hungry ghost? Yeah, in the, the realm, realm of hungry ghosts. In the realm of the hungry ghosts. Everybody knows him. But did you know that they teamed up with Michael Hebb? And his organization to design conversations over the dinner about drugs. Yeah, I bet just so just say no was not part of that dinner. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, they weren't, but we had an incredible group of people. And actually, it was how I met Gabor. Is I invited him to dinner, and he flew to New York for the first dinner. Wonderful. Um, and we just essentially test out what questions get to the heart of an issue. Um, you know, with the UN Foundation, we created Earth to Dinner um, and Good Magazine to talk about climate change. Um, with the Nature Conservancy, I created a series of dinners to for people to understand um, why that is they're interested in conservation. Um, and recently, um, well I guess it's been a year now, with the Obama Foundation, um, their first gathering um, started with a 500-person dinner um, where I designed um, questions and the whole dinner around why am I involved in activism. Um, and you had like Barack mm. and Michelle both leading tables of 10 people with people. Mm. Like you could hear a pin drop in this room of 500 right. people talking about why it is that they do this work. And the th- these conversations would not happen without that structure. It's um, like the New York Times 36 questions to fall in love. Yes, right. right. Like the most emailed article of New York Times of that year because we actually want help. We want help connecting with the humans in our life, and there's yeah. not a lot of tools for better human connection out there. Jordana, talk about how you get couples to talk. I mean, is it you don't just get to talk about dying or <laughs> holding <laughs> while dying, right? I mean, how do you get them to talk? I mean, did you come up with this exercise about one holds the other? And I did come up with that, yeah. Tell me more, please. Um, you know, in 
therapy and in treatment, I, I consider myself a generalist. So I, I mean, I think death is actually pretty general. It's about as general as it gets. <laughs> but Until you hear the diagnosis. Right, right. Then but then, yeah, but given that it happens to everybody yeah. uh, oh, well, thus far, yeah. it's a pretty general <laughs> condition. Sure. I, I got you, yeah. Uh, so in treatment, I actually, I don't always bring up death. I often pick up on existential themes with patients. Um, and cri often people are having crises of meaning. I mean, I see that mm. every day. Mm. Every day. Every day. Yes. <laughs> uh, about what's most meaningful in life to them. And mm. often what's most meaningful is relationships and connections. I mean, Esther Perel is quoted sure, saying, sure. Um, the quality of our life is the quality of our relationships. Right? Mm. And I view death and death awareness as sort of the fastest vehicle to that recognition mm. that often you mm. know at the end of life the only thing that really matters is love and your connections to mm. people uh, so sometimes in treatment if it's the right situation it's not always the right situation i'll introduce some of these death awareness exercises um, and concepts to help sort of shake people up mm. and get to the place where you got to when you were thinking about your sisters, mm. about this sort of crystal clear, you know, deep clarity yeah. Um, yeah. when things had felt messy and confusing. Mm. Uh, maybe I don't I don't want to speak for you, but it seems like you moved from a place of um, it being muddier waters yes, to seeing things was. more clearly. Mm, yeah. And that clarity was around love and connection and the, the importance of mm, that. Mm. A and I'll have to say, and not necessarily liking everything I was saying, mm -hmm. <laughs> too, in the process, you know, and so realizing I have to make a change. I have to, this is coming out of me. There's no f f faking this. This was real. Right. So it wasn't all pleasant, although it was all about love and the missed love, the missed opportunities for love right. that so came up. So I could imagine doing it with a couple making the other's death more real in a session. Um, because often couples would say, oh, I would die for her, but I don't want to go out to dinner with her. <laughs> <laughs> you know, or I don't want to go, you know, I would die for him, but I don't want to go on vacation with him, right? Yeah. So we want to get you back in touch with this, I would die for you. Where does that come from? Where does that fit in? What does that mean? Well, what, what What's the feeling behind that? One of the beautiful things about um, coming into contact with Jordana's work, um, you know, being in the in the end-of-life space for the last, I don't know, seven years or so, um, you I come across all of the work that people are doing in the space, and, um, and essentially we're telling people that they should, um, that they should, you know, eat their greens, right? They should um, yeah. do this work because okay. your life will be bigger, better, you'll have more clarity, right. um, you'll, you'll live a more full life. Um, those, are, those are nice things, um, mm -hmm. but it's a bit like take your vitamins, eat your greens, do your exercise. Right. Sometimes you don't want to do exercise, but you're going to feel better if you do exercise, you know, this, this yeah, kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, and when Jordana and I st uh, met and, st and started talking, it was actually at one of the, the launch events for this book. Um, mm. And she came up and said, you know, hey, I actually work around, um, you know, the concepts of love and death. Um, 
And I'm, I've been looking at how um, people facing their mortality could increase their capacity to love. Um, and, and so we started immediately. And for me, that was like, w- w- wait, yeah, stop, yeah, hold yeah. everything. I know. Um, you know, because we know that, you know, talking about death makes us funnier. Um, it makes us mm. uh, have a better sense of humor. There was a study, mm. uh, it was like University of Illinois, I can't remember exactly where, mm. um, that proved that. Um, we know that we live longer if we have these open conversations. Mm-hmm. Um, Atul Gawande talks about that. People, th- um, 30% of the time having these conversations actually live longer. Really? Which is pretty right. significant. Mm. Um, but But just this idea that... Um, and to have you know the beginning of research around um, this notion um, to lean into the idea that our capacity to love could increase um, if we were more actively looking at our mortality because we all want love and so we yeah. started designing a retreat together immediately um, which is happening in upstate New York. Say more about the retreat because we'll talk more about it at the break, uh, but we have about a minute before we yeah. go on our first musical break. But talk about the retreat. Yeah, so it's essentially instead of just like the eat your greens, do the death work retreat, it was like let's bring love and death together. And so it's called Love, Death, and Human Connection. And it's upstate um, near Rhinebeck um, in a gorgeous place called um, the Duchess. And it's a three-day oh, retreat. Uh. Mm-hmm. Um, and and people will have they'll have a death meditation. They'll actually have a kundalini rebirth. Um, Jordana and I will both be teaching with alongside some other great practitioners. Wow. And this is when? Um, the April 29th through May 1st. Um, yeah, and there's like, I, it's almost sold out, but there's like five spots left. Five people, spots. Yeah, so people should jump on that. And the website to get the tickets? Loveanddeath.round.glass. 212-757-5555. We'll take your calls after this. We know our callers are on the second half of the show today. There are four to five slots, but we'll take callers today. We have Michael Hebb, author of the book, Let's Talk About Death, over dinner. And Dr. Jordana Jacobs, who uh, talks about death and romance and bringing people closer together, lovers closer together by talking about death. We'll be back after this musical break.
Montgomery here on The Positive Mind. You're listening to The Positive Mind here every Wednesday, generally from 4 to 5. Today we're on from 3 to 5. As we welcome back to the show Michael Hebb, author of the book Let's Talk About Death Over Dinner. Michael, thank you so much for taking the time to be back with us today. It's an honor to be here. Yep. And if you want a copy of the book, you can call 212-757-4488. We are doing a fun drive promo today for the book. For $60, you can get the book and all the se secrets and tricks of the book. How do you make it palatable to talk about death to your loved ones? Is it always a difficult conversation, Michael and, and doctor? Is it always difficult? How can it no. be? How do you prime the pump? <laughs> How do you get people ready to do this this process? Well, yeah, I mean, there's a couple a couple things rules that I would rules of the road. Um, this is not a, a conversation that you surprise somebody with, um, especially um, the extent of it that a death dinner is. Um, mm -hmm. So you know, as, uh, we'll often say is uh, you don't invite people to pizza night. And then surprise them with the death dinner. Yeah, yeah okay. bad idea. Oh, okay. um, it's not going to go well. Yeah. Um, and some people are, you know, say, well, or you know, Easter's coming up, or Thanksgiving, or Passover, like all of these things, these um, uh, these mm. holidays that are focused around food and conviviality and connecting. Um, what a great time to have a, a, good time. a terrible time. No, you're celebrating time. life, at, you know, in those things subconsciously. Not that talking about death is not a celebration of life, but it is. You don't want to start this process by, you know, changing the traditional rituals that you're, you have in place. Unless everybody r is really excited about that. Now, if you have a family hmm. that um, can sit down to Thanksgiving dinner and you can foist death over dinner on them and they love it, um, you probably have no neuroses. Um, <laughs> you're probably <laughs> just fine. Yeah, we can yeah. talk about that. But the Giants are playing at five. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Um, so, so that's a big rule of thumb. Is um, okay. So it you, is don't an no, you don't spring it on people. You don't spring yeah. it on them. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, if you are not warned ahead of time and this is sprung on you, it could be traumatic. Sure. Right? Yeah. And 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 you're not giving somebody a fair shake at whether they want to have the conversation or not. Okay. Um, and so um, you invite people gently to a death dinner. Um, it's a movement. They can read about it. They can read about it in major publications. They can listen to about it on radio shows. Deathoverdinner.org. Like yeah, so that gives it some credibility and legitimacy for people that sometimes are wary of the conversation. Now, if they don't want to come, um, mm -hmm. it doesn't mean that your family member or your loved one or your friend doesn't want to talk about death. It might be that they just don't want to sit down to, mm. you know, chow mein and, like, have the conversation. Yeah, and they want to hear how it went for everybody for the first run. Sure. I'm, a, I'm a guy who would say, let me see how it went for them, and then I'll see. Yeah, you know, um, for sure. I mean, they so started this at Memorial Sloan Kettering just down yeah. the road where um, it, there was – it was actually the, um, the patient um, committee – um, that brought the concept. It was survivors and patients that brought the concept to Memorial Sloan Kettering, and um, and there was a lot of hesitation in the beginning, as you can imagine. Yeah. Um, why would clinicians um, want to have this conversation? We face it every day. We've had some education around it, um, and and now on their I think their fourth dinner, um, they they can't keep up with the demand um, because the word has gotten out. Mm. Uh, among clinicians and patients. And um, the patients want to talk about their death to the clinicians, the possibility of their death to the clinicians, to the doctors, because it is the unspoken elephant in the room if you're you're seriously under fourth stage cancer. Yeah. Well, I'd say some. And so mm -hmm. and this is where we get to the fact that 
Um, a death dinner is one way to have this conversation, and there are a lot of other ways. Um, I, a lot of people like to say, my mom won't have this conversation. My dad won't have this conversation. My spouse doesn't want to no talk way. about death yeah, at all. There's no, no way. Yeah. It's a non-starter. Right. And what I suggest to people is that they are already talking about death. Um, everybody who's living has an awareness of their mortality. Um, maybe not a five-year-old. Um, but, mm. you know, adults... Certainly post-pubescent. Yeah, adults are out there realizing yeah. that um, the death mm. is going to happen to them, and mm. they are having an internal conversation. Mm -hmm. So for me, instead of pointing the finger and saying, you know, why won't you talk to me about this, I like to flip it around and say, how can you create an environment where the person in your life wants to share that conversation they're already having in their own head? And that takes charm. Um, yeah. That takes empathy, <laughs> some resources. It's almost like getting a job. Mm. Um, if your first rejection was mm. the last time you looked for a job, you would yeah. you wouldn't have a job. You know, right. like yeah, so, yeah, 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 it yeah. takes some creativity. We have a caller on the line, but uh, what if you? Uh, I was going to say, well, what if you have a family that's just jokey and they don't like heaviness? But we'll get to that yeah, after yeah. we get to the caller. We have Ada on the line. Hi, I'm here. Hey, how are you? I'm doing fabulous, and you know what? Like, I caught you at the perfect time because I have a family who never talks about death. Can you turn off your radio? Is your radio on? Uh, no, it's not. I don't. Hold on a second. Let me just. It's my computer. Are you still getting feedback? Okay. Hello? I'm just, just, hear, just hearing the echo. Could well, be speakerphone. Are you on, are you on speaker? Okay. Yeah, you know what? I'm going to take you off speaker. One second. Okay. Yeah. So, is this better? Yeah, that's better. Okay, great. So I have a family that never talks about death, ever. And um, both of my parents are both in their in their late 80s, and anytime we have a conversation, we never, ever talk about death. Like, I don't know, it's almost like, it's kind of like a weird thing, because like I want to talk to them about arrangements, you know, what they'd like, et cetera, et cetera. But what I've noticed is that my um, I actually had one, one of my brothers passed away about four and a half years ago, and then recently I also, uh, one of my coworkers just passed away, and actually she was killed by, um, by one of her children, oh. and it's just been so shocking, and I don't know how to process, basically because I've never had this conversation about it, I don't know how to process, mm -hmm. I don't even know how to what, process what like you, people would, dying. Yeah, yeah, what would you hope to come out of a conversation about death? Um... I just, um, I just want to, with my parents, you mean? With anybody. Or with because just you've anyone. Because you've been through a few deaths already, so what is it that you would want to come away with by, ta um, by talking about it? I just want to feel like, because we all know that it's something that happens to everyone, mm -hmm. I just want to be more comfortable talking about it. Like, we're, like mm -hmm. we're all on the same page, like we're all going to die, yeah. and kind of like not ignore it. I would just mm -hmm. like to be able to also have a very comfortable conversation about it without it, um, I don't know, without feeling like so depressed and sad about it, because mm. that's really what comes out of the conversation, I'm gonna just let a our, lot of sadness. Uh, yeah, let, let our guests talk a little bit about this. Uh, mm -hmm. Do you want to go first? Do you want to say um, that this... Go ahead. The first thing that comes to mind for me is 
we all have a different tolerance for this. And the fact that you're even calling in right now and, and saying yeah. this, it's mm. it's quite remarkable given the context of growing up in a family where uh, clearly this isn't really spoken about. So mm-hmm. I mean, that's really brave and courageous of you to Thank begin you. with. Um, <laughs> but recognizing that everybody has a different capacity and meeting people where they are, mm. right? So I, I mm-hmm. don't... It sounds like there would be a tremendous amount of safety and security that would be necessary to be in place before this conversation can be broached with your parents. Um, So I don't know what that is for your parents specifically, what it is that makes Mm. them feel safe. But I know that in the dinners that Michael does, you know, it's everything from creating an ambiance that feels good and comfortable and warm and inviting. Um, You know, there are. You can make your favorite meal. You can make make your your favorite favorite meal, meal, which is extraordinarily comforting uh, Mm -hmm. and creates a lot of safety. There are also softball questions that are in, Mm -hmm. you know, that are laid out in the book versus questions that are more challenging. Like the softball Mm -hmm. questions are like, what what song would you like played at your funeral? Mm -hmm. Uh, So then. It can that sort of goes back yeah. to what you were talking about about a family who maybe likes to joke and keep things light. Um, mm-hmm. There's that there are ways to sort of break in a little bit more indirectly right. than saying, okay, you have 30 days to live. Yeah. What are you gonna do? Yeah. Right. Uh, right. So. So, again, this is a little bit about the connection between love and death for me because mm-hmm. I think when death and death awareness is delivered in this um, sort of womb of love and safety and security, it's much more digestible than if it's just Uh flung out there. Um, People can get very defensive and very resistant. Mm. Yes. You could buy them the the book. You can buy them the book, too, Ada. Uh, Mm -hmm. Let's talk about death over dinner. Right, Michael? I mean, this would be a great entree into... Uh, buy for everybody in your family this book. Mm-hmm. It's a great read. Um, yeah, if it's you buy not it for everybody, then, then then there's no one you're specifically pointing at. <laughs> <laughs> and Which they might right, say right, it's right. not <laughs> such a threat, the promise of talking about it. But go ahead. Well, and I mean, I think one thing for me that that comes up is, and you know, this is kind of another golden rule, um, is it starts with you, um, a little bit like I was talking about before you called. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. What 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 I'm hearing is that you want to get information from your parents, um, and they probably on some level feel that as well. Um, and I'd say the one way to to change that dynamic is to flip it and to be to share with them vulnerably um, about oh. your own fears um, instead of kind of trying to extract something from them um, where right. they're clearly been traumatized by this topic. Um, by telling, you know, you're sharing about what happened in your family. Mm -hmm. There's no surprise it would be a traumatic um, topic. And so if you start with starting to share with them about your fears or how difficult this conversation is for you, um, and but how you do want to have it and you want to share things with them, um, and anywhere you can step over your own edge um, Mm -hmm. and show Mm -hmm. immense vulnerability, um, that's contagious. Um, okay. And it, instead of being a little bit more, um, what do you want? You know, a little bit more right. oppositional or not even transactional, but just that kind of. Yeah. I, n- I need to know something from you because you're getting close. I mean, 
Maybe they want to right, think about right, they're right. getting close, and then they're, you know, then they're in fight or flight. Yeah. You know, the, yeah, and they're not going to. Yeah. yeah. So I would just, I would flip the, flip the, uh, the, the game um, in the conversation. So can I ask one more question? Sure. And and um and then I'm going to hang out because I know the calls get long. But yes. um, the other question that I have is, how do you process like, uh, for instance, uh, one of my friends, one of my close friends, just. Um, passed away uh, last Wednesday, and it was just so unexpected. And I mean, in in my whole, I, I happen to be a teacher, so in my whole department, we're all in shock. Like it just seems like we we don't know how to cry about it because we have to, you know, put on the brave face. And sometimes that's very damaging as well. And I just want to know, like, what are easier ways? so that we can just deal with it on a day-to-day basis and just process it. I mean, of course, we need to process it on our own time, but then also, like, what are some things that we can put into place so that, like, every day we could just, like, um, it takes away a little bit more a little bit more pain each day. Like, what are some things that we can do? That was another question that I had. Yeah, I mean, grief's a huge, it's a, it's its own other ocean. You know, there's the Pacific Ocean, there's the Atlantic Ocean, there's preparing for death and then there's um the the fact that we grieve and they're very very different things um i mean i think one thing that happens um with grief is that we don't talk about um the person that we've lost we avoid the topic and we isolate ourselves um and this happens with gruesome deaths for sure with suicides or um, when somebody loses a child you don't you think that the person the parent that's lost a child or somebody who's been impacted by suicide of a family member doesn't want to talk about it doesn't want to be reminded Mm. and it is so often the opposite is the case that they want to connect with the people in their lives around the fact that it is what they're thinking about all the time and so if there's some way to connect with your community of teachers about the person that you've lost um, instead of just putting on the brave face just honoring that person Um, maybe there's Maybe you build some sort of small altar or remembrance to them. Mm. Um, and so that you do create a, a way for you to connect around this loss as opposed to just having to process it um, individually. And, I mean, there's there's n- there's some people that um, are, are amazing in the grief space. The person that comes first to mind is Frances Weller. Um, and Frances Weller, I think, it just has one book on grief, and it's exceptional. Um, and I'd highly recommend that. And everybody's grief path is completely unique um, is another thing. So give yourself um, the permission to feel your own way and your own path through the grief of, of, of the loss. And I'm very sorry to hear that you lost someone important to you. Two one two seven five seven five 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 five. We're taking your calls. We're here with Michael Hebb, author of the book, Let's Talk About Death Over Dinner. And Dr. Jordana Jacobs, who is a specialist on talking about death and romance, um, that was beautiful about grief. And it, it, it is a shame, like suicides. Uh, do the f- parents of suicidal, uh, who have survived a suicide, talk about that experience. I do want to ask Dr. Jacobs about how love mixes with death and how I know in the video that I watched of you on YouTube and and, and, uh, we'll give the address where they can get that Dr. Jordana Jacobs uh, video you you flip it you flip something about death and romance death and love and love and death Um, so I 
maybe you go first, and then Michael, maybe you can tell me something about suicides, because that's a that's a tough death to talk about, mm. isn't it? Yeah. And and your experience with that, but Doctor, you go first. So, you know, I'm I'm very cautious sometimes talking about this, because especially when you're talking about suicide, because I I in no by no means want to glorify death, mm. Uh, mm. death mm. and grieving. Uh, is excruciating, often the most excruciating thing that we can go through as yeah. human beings, yeah. uh, the loss of, of somebody we love, yeah. right? Um, and the loss of ourselves, the impending loss of ourselves. Right. But what I do flip is how the recognition of that inevitable loss and the acceptance, the allowance of that in our daily lives opens us up uh, I think in many different ways, yeah. um, but specifically in terms of love and love broadly, but also romantic love. Mm. And the reason why I looked at romantic love in my dissertation research is because I think romantic love is very challenging. Yes. Right? Um, we're not doing so well in that no, department yeah. these days. Yeah. And, um, you know, the the again to mention Esther Perel, but yeah. part of my work is based on what she said in her iconic phrase, fire needs air, right? Yeah. So in order mm. to maintain passion and desire in in relationships, we need to give our partner space to be their own person and mm. to remember um, that they could always leave us or that we could lose them. Mm -hmm. She doesn't specifically talk as much about death. She really talks about divorce. She talks about separation, right. and about affairs. Mm, yeah. uh, but when I think about love you know, and death and I, th I think about fire and air, mm. the ultimate air is death in my opinion, okay. recognizing mm -hmm. that the loss of whomever you love is inevitable. Mm. You will die. They will die. Yes. Uh, it's, it's coming, mm. right? And I do believe that the sooner we realize that, uh, the deeper we can connect on an authentic mm. level. You know, we're not living that lie anymore. Yeah. And in my actual research, I found that if you prime people, which means you bring up thoughts of death into conscious awareness sure. um, for death and loss, that they actually experience more intimacy in mm -hmm. their romantic mm. partnerships. I mean, I'm just thinking, if, imagine if tonight's the last night we'll go out to dinner. <laughs> I mean, imagine what focus you could bring and joy and sensuality you could bring to this will be our last night together. Let's say, I mean, just that, that form of death, because Esther is always talking about the problem with relationships and romance is that they become secure, mm -hmm. and then the fire goes out, and it's only when we keep them insecure and we're reminded of the insecurity of our attachments, our partners, that the fire will grow. So she's always trying to inject, how do we keep this less solid, less secure, less, you know, the way we, we existentially want it to be, which is really just um, an illusion anyway. Exactly. Uh, in order to get to the, the fire. We have a caller, Carol, on the line, 212-757-5555. Give us a call. We're here with Dr. Uh, Jordana Jacobs and Michael Hebb, the author of Let's Talk About Death Over Dinner. Carol, is that you? Yes. Hi. Hi. I just wanted to say that I, oh, I don't even know how to express it. I don't like the way 
we handle the debt, mm-hmm. um, how we process the debt. With if there's so much disrespect surrounded surrounding it, mm-hmm. um, the way that um, the coroner comes and just bags someone up and throw them in a truck. Mm-hmm. Um. I, a few years ago, there was a testimony given at the um, New York City Council because the ONC, a worker for the ONC, had um, was collecting cans along the road and putting cans in the truck with the dead, mm-hmm. and he was reported, and so the ONC had to come to the City Council and explain that. The doctor... Um, I gave the testimony, gave a beautiful testimony, and he talked about how back in the day there was a hospital for the dead and how the dead is, was treated like, like as if they were living. Mm. They were given a full examination head to toe, and it was, there was so much respect. But I, don't, I just don't understand where we lost it. Yeah. Well, yeah. you want to honor people that have passed on, Carol, right? Have you, yes. Yeah. Is there anybody in particular you want to uh, honor? Oh, <laughs> so oh, so many people yeah. in my family, mm-hmm. and it just breaks my heart. I mean, it's just it's heartbreaking, mm-hmm. and I, I I feel we need to just change our ways. What I would like to see is each administration has a secretary for the dead. Yeah, and and what, what would speak. you want? What would you want them to do? Um. For instance, um, I have a personal initiative that I would like to pass on to the AG okay. <laughs> of, yeah. of, of New York. Yeah. Funeral parlors. When it comes to funeral parlors, mm. there's a lot of violations in funeral parlors, mm. and I, I feel there should be a CCTV, federally monitored yeah. CCTV, where wow. someone is watching all the time. Yeah. Yeah. So you really, really have given this a lot of thought. You're really, I, I'm you're, passionate you're, about yeah, it. <laughs> you're really connected to this. So mm-hmm. yeah, and I, I just suspect Carol that because so you, 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 you love life. Mm, yes. I, I, I really see your, your love for life here. So. Yes. So okay, we're gonna, we're gonna take it up with uh, Michael, who's gonna talk a little bit about a funeral parlor and how to uh, arrange your <laughs> own funeral. Um, but that, but that, <laughs> thanks for calling, Carol. Thank you, uh, Michael. Thank a you, comment, Carol. but also I did want to let people know about this concept of yours yeah. about celebrating life by <laughs> sure by um, a ritual. Yeah. By a ritual. Well, and first to um, to respond to Carol um, and what she brings up is is so important um, and is is a, a way of looking at um, you know how we who we are as a people. Yeah. Right is how mm-hmm. we treat our dead, um, and it has mm-hmm. been an adage since time memorial. You know, like that's an there. There's a reason why we say that about yeah. cultures. Yeah. Um, and we've separated ourselves so completely um, from the process of dying and from the physicality of 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 the dead. Um, you know, 75% of people want to die at home. 25% of us do. Um, people are dying. Mm. We've medicalized death. Um, and, and and prolonged it in so many cases, which mm-hmm. is wonderful in so mm-hmm. many cases. Um, but so many people used to, uh, it didn't have the ability to know that their death was coming 
to them, right? Mm. And then fight to save it, right? Yeah. Right. And mm-hmm. so um, our, our whole culture of dying has shifted um, and become uh, a, a culture of, um, of fixing or winning um, or beating, um, not having a reckoning. Um, and so we've lost a mm. language. And when you lose a language around a thing, you also lose ritual. Um, mm. And so, I mean, there's, I think there, there's a tribe in, um, um, in the south, uh, at like in the New Mexico region, mm. um, who had lost a particular type of blue corn. They stopped seeding it, and an organization had found that, um, that corn and brought it back to life and brought the corn, the seed, back to um, this tribe, and I can't remember the exact tribe in mm. New Mexico. Um, and w- when they, and, and people lost their minds with joy when the corn was reintroduced right. um, because the right. rituals that were attached to that, oh, and sure. even language oh, that was attached to that, mm, they lost was all of that. When lost that all of that. And yeah. so, you know, it's almost like what we lost when we industrialized food. <laughs> the yes, ability right. to know how to cook, um, mm, mm. and so we've industrialized death, and so we've lost a lot of the depth and the meaning around the dying rituals. at home. Now, there's a topic over dinner, right? I mean, people, it's a much better place to die. Right. I'm gonna say it, right? Yeah. Put it out there. The hospital is not the place. I know Sloan Kettering um, encourages last stage people who are clearly going to die to go home. I know a friend of mine was there in the 80s, and he they sent him home to die, and it was beautiful yeah. that the family could be around the whole bed, and he was witnessing familiar faces and familiar sights yeah. instead of a w- white wall and a bunch of wires. And sounds. Just think and about sounds. a friend of mine, Yoko Sen, um, who's an incredible sound artist, um, has spent her life's work now on thinking about what is the last sound you want to hear? And and is working with GE and Philips to redesign the sounds within hospital suites and wards, um, so that it is an uplifting, oh, um, you know, beautiful experience right. as opposed to this cacophony of mm-hmm. sounds. Um, because mm-hmm. sound is actually it's a vibration, right? Yeah. And there are healing vibrations, and yes. there are none. And our hospitals mm-hmm. are filled are filled with. Um, you know, with vibrations, um, yeah. psychically <laughs> sound-based right. in every terrible. different way. Dr. Warner, please report to room 514. You know, yeah. That's in there. I, I know what I'd like to hear on my deathbed, the sound, a heartbeat. <laughs> How's that for hope? <laughs> but I'm an optimist. Are we, you're listening to the pop... Hey, everybody, welcome back to The Positive Mind. I'm Kevo Dunning with Ben Starr, here for our second hour. If you're just joining us, we've been here with Dr. Jordana Jacobs and Michael Hebb, the author of a book, Let's Talk About Death Over Dinner. Dr. Jacobs is a specialist on talking about death and romance. And Michael Hebb is a specialist on bringing the dinner table back to life. Um, so I, I expect this could be a series like um, the Wimpy Kids series. Like, let's talk <laughs> about death over dinner. Let's talk about love over dinner. Let's talk about aging over dinner. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about drugs over dinner. So thank you both again for being here. We're going into our second hour. Welcome. Thank you. Great to be here. All right, so let's cut to the chase. If you're just tuning in, we've had an hour, and uh, we're we're I'm sorry, but we're going to cut right to it because I'm with somebody who's actually died already, and here he is. He's back from the dead. He uh, planned his own funeral. <laughs> I was looking around I the was room. Like, what? 
<laughs> he planned his own funeral. He called 150 people or more. They, they all came. He lied down in a um, box, which we call a coffin, and he heard people talk nicely about him. So, Michael, welcome back. And could you tell our brand-new audience, if, the, if you're just tuning in, um, about this experience and about your your mission to transform the dinner table. Yeah, I love that it has grown in like Homeric dimensions. Like <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's now well, lying in a coffin. It's going to be a yeah. you know statelet funeral yeah. soon for my my living wake. Um, so yeah, this the story, um, the the way that it came about was um, I had just suffered a major heartbreak and it was um, I was a few months shy of my 40th birthday. And the idea of being alone on my birthday, um, coupled with the fact that I was dealing with heartbreak, um, mm. was just too much for me existentially to manage. Mm. And I didn't want to sit in that discomfort. And so sure. I uh, sent out an email to about 50 friends, not 150, oh, I okay. hate to tell you. Um, and all I did was invite them to um, a weekend somewhere on the northern coast of California. Details would be determined at a later date, but just let me know you can be there. Um, it was mm. a little bit of a cry out for help, just to know that I wouldn't be alone. Um, and I got 40 replies um, within the day wow. um, of people That's committing, good. which good, was great. Friends. Yeah, I mean, the 10 that didn't, we, we can talk <laughs> okay, about Okay, well, they missed a deal. Yeah, if they're <laughs> listening. <laughs> in. Um, and uh, so, so here, all of these people were on an email list, um, and one friend, um, uh, one of my most disruptive and oldest friends, uh, Matt Wiggins, um, sent an email to the group um, disregarding the please don't BCC everyone um, request uh, <laughs> that, or please don't CC everyone yes, request. For sure. um, responded, hey, uh, Mr. Death is turning 40. Let's throw him a living funeral. Let's throw him his own funeral for his 40th wow. birthday. Right. Yeah. And um, right. very tongue in cheek. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, a lot of banter resulted. By the time my 40th birthday had rolled around, it had gotten quite serious. Um, and it had gotten so serious that when I was walking down the stairs with my eyes closed, being led, um, dressed all in white, having been ritually bathed and anointed with oils, okay. um, as you do, right? right. <laughs> <laughs> Just normal 40-year-old stuff. Yeah. Um, so I'm being taken down um, to where everyone is on the landing outside. Um, and with my eyes closed again, I'm being lowered into what is becoming more and more clear to me is a coffin. Um, which mm. I didn't know about. Mm. Um, oh. Yeah, okay. so it was custom-made coffin. Um, uh, mercifully, had no lid, um, <laughs> and, right. um, but was then hoisted by uh, pallbearers that smelled uh, distinctly of of your of your country's whiskey. Oh, uh, <laughs> so Irish Murphys. Yeah, oh, okay. and so and it, which made the whole thing. It's amazing to talk about olfactory yeah, in yeah. all of this. Okay. Um, yeah. It made it the 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 whiskey on their breath made the whole thing even more poignantly real, uh, probably the thing that hit me. Mm. Um, and, and I realized quickly that they were drinking because this was an immense experience, um, and they had to take the edge off. Um, and so a bottle went round, just like it would at an Irish wake. And yeah. I was then um, uh, taken to a, a dark room. Um, one candle was lit, and... Um, w another friend started wailing from her, you know, uh, from her belly, like a very profound cry. And at that point, any of the silliness of the yeah, experience sure. was washed away, and we were mm. in the middle of a very um, uh, powerful ritual. And for three hours, 
um, I was uh, eulogized and um, grievances were aired. Very serious grievances. Really? Really? Yeah. And, um, mm. and I, you know, when you can't sit up and say, you got it wrong. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You just listen the to it. The debates are over. Yeah. You listen to yeah, the state sure. of the heart connection you have with mm. all of the people in your life. Um, and you have a chance to do something about mm. it. Um, for me, the hardest thing was hearing the, the love because I realized I didn't know how to receive love at, at that level. Right. Um, right. And so, but I got to get up out of the f um, coffin at the end of three hours um, and uh, make some changes in the way that I was living and the way that I was relating to people mm. um, in my community. What, um, a, what a gift. Yeah, it's really a powerful. You know, it sounds morbid, but it's not. It's it was really yeah. quite a gift. And the humanness of the wailing, the crying from yeah. a, a location inside that you don't even know where it's coming from. It was remarkable. And um, so we wanted to share it with people because mm -hmm. there are people that, you know, as they get older or if you are struggling with a terminal diagnosis and you don't know how long you're going to be here, but you want to hear from the loved ones in your life and you don't want to sound crazy for being like, hey, I'm throwing myself a living funeral or throwing it for somebody you yeah. love. I wanted to, again, be the blamable third party. And so we created something <laughs> called... Right. You know, livewake.com is the URL, um, and there's all kinds of resources for how to do this. 212-757-5555. If you're joining us for the second hour, we're on an expanded edition of The Positive Mind. Thanks to WBAI for hosting probably this first conversation about death on the airwaves. I don't care where you live or what radio station you listen to. Only BAI would bring experts, professionals here who talk about death, who realize, you know, there's a positive to the negative of death. Yeah. And we, you know, all neurosis, right? I mean, mm -hmm. um, what is it? Death denial neurosis? Ever, I mean, where does anxiety go? If you're going to die tomorrow, are you going to spend it anxious or depressed? I think I would imagine symptoms could magically disappear um, if you're given the diagnosis of dying within a month or a week. I mean, something elemental in us as human beings rises to the surface when we talk about death or we're given a diagnosis of death that can obliterate kind of mental health issues and make life really very clear and what needs to be done Well, I like very the, clear. I, I mean, I want um, Jordana's take on this, but um, the idea of doing some practice before you have a diagnosis doing some practice around this conversation before mm. you're in an um, oncologist's office or a lawyer's office talking about wills. Um, the yeah. more literate we can get, the more comfortable we can get, the less triggered we can get about the conversations, the more authentic our decisions and our communication will be, and mm. then we're more likely to get what we want. So we're, we're talking about like momentum mori death practice. I agree. Um, I totally can't speak agree. to the immensity of the existential, you know, f phenomenon of dealing with a real diagnosis. Mm -hmm. I was I was going to say the same, you know, mm. I you said the diagnosis of death and but on some level we are all diagnosed yes. with death. Yes, that's right. Right? And yes. of course there are different timelines, but mm. but even though I am for the most part healthy myself as far as I'm aware, yeah. um I could die at any time. Right. Right, and so we operate as if we have a life expectancy, mm. and that is probabilistic, but it's not predetermined. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I'm 31, I'm a millennial, and I think specifically for this millennial generation uh, that 
I think because of the internet, because of Silicon Valley, because of you know what Michael was talking about, this uh, ethos and societal expectation of like fighting and winning and rising to the top and sure. we can conquer anything, yes. um, specifically the entrepreneurial culture, uh, defeat and loss um, and the inevitability of death is not something that is... Uh, Welcome. readily <laughs> incorporated mm. into our lives. So mm. I'm I'm very interested in the concept like Michael's funeral, um, yeah. <laughs> or living funeral, of sort of experiencing dying before you die. Totally agree. Totally agree. And having different uh, modalities that get you there, whether or not it's meditation you know I, the well there's an app you talk about a, a quote app there's an where app you called can, you can you can croak, you can yeah. you can tune in five times a day uh, to a quote go ahead say something so about they that. actually tune you in you get alerts five times a day which is uh based on the old Bhutanese saying that you have to contemplate death five times a day in order to really fully live in a rich and meaningful way uh, so there's an app you sign up for. It sends you alerts five times a day, reminding mm. you that you're going to mm. die in the form of these quotes that are about yeah. death. Um, I think there are a lot of different ways to have that sort yeah. of experience, mm -hmm. though. Mm -hmm. I, I like that in concept, in theory. Mm -hmm. um, but I, you know, I think that you can come up with your own ways of eat reminding dinner yourself. in silence with a group of people. That's you a know, beautiful I mean, idea eat too. dinner in silence with people. You'll experience a death. I, I really think you will. I, I have my own thoughts about this when I, I came across your video, and we can talk more about that. I'm just letting people know you're listening to The Positive Mind on WBAI 99.5 FM in New York City. We're here with Michael Hebb, the author of Let's Talk About Death Over Dinner, and Dr. Jordana Jacobs. I knew I was going to get the D wrong. Jordana Jacobs. We're taking your calls at 212-757-5555. We are running right to the middle here, folks. We're sorry. Uh, about being here the second hour. I mean, we're very happy we are, but for our usual listeners, we might have jumped the gun with you <laughs> by bringing you right into this conversation about death because death can be a positive experience, and we've been talking about it for over 60 minutes now, how to make talk about death um, a positive experience, reflecting on death, reflecting on significant people's death in your life. How do you want to be remembered? Right? Um, what do you want written on your tombstone if those things still exist? <laughs> mm -hmm. um, what would you like to be your last meal? Who would, whose face would you like to be the last face you see? Right? What smell would you like to be the last smell? Coffee. <laughs> <laughs> um, but what taste? I remember when Armand DeMille, my mentor, was passing away, he invited everybody in to his um, hospital room, had whiskey for everybody, but he also had other things. He, he, he had cucumber juice. He had root beer soda. He had so many different flavors that he, watermelon juice. <laughs> he wanted everything. He wanted to taste, smell, and hear, and feel everything. It reminds me of Maury Schwartz. I see you know, yes, Tuesdays, Tuesdays with Maury, <laughs> right? Tuesdays right. with Maury. I don't remember that about him, but I remember the movie with Jack London. Yeah, well, I mean, Maury Schwartz, I mean, amazing story. He was a professor at Brandeis um, yeah. and uh, was given a diagnosis where he didn't have, I can't remember exactly how long, 
um, to live, but he wanted to keep teaching. He wanted to teach his last class from his deathbed. Um, and so he started um, teaching from his bed. Really? Literally, yeah. With a video screen? I tuned into like a no, no, student's the students waiting or there. students actually no, came? No, students there. Oh, yeah. wow, wow, yeah. wow. And um, uh-huh. a friend of mine, actually the person who um, encouraged me most strongly to write this book, was a producer for Nightline, and he brought this idea to Ted Koppel because he yes. read it in a regional oh, newspaper. Oh, is that right? Yeah, and he said, Ted, I want to do this. Uh, you should do. We should do this interview with yeah, Maury. sure. This, this professor, and Ted was like 100% in. Mm. Um, the other producers, the executive producer, said, there's no way we're doing that because no one wants to, you know, you yeah, know no one wants to hear about this I topic. I understand. Right. I totally understand. And Ted put his foot down, used his weight, um, right. and went and gave this interview with Maury, and it became the most watched interview of Ted's entire career. Um, and uh, a, a, a student of his, uh, Mitch Album. Yes, um, made a fortune. Well, <laughs> he just he heard about he saw the Nightline. Oh, really? Um, yeah, he saw the the interview with Ted Koppel. Okay, and he was like, "That's my professor, Maurice Schwartz," and he went to see him on a Tuesday, and decided he was going to come back once a month on Tuesdays. Wow. Had only intended to write that book just for Maury's family to have about his aphorisms and his Fantastic. wisdom. It's the most published biography of all time. Like so, if we think mm-hmm. about that, this is a culture that doesn't want to talk about death. I think is an absolute um, n- non-truth. I think people do want to talk about death. We just need better ways. We need better design. Mm. We need better opportunities. Mm. And uh, a warm welcome to how to do it. You're listening to WBAI. I'm here with do- uh, Dr. Jordana Jacobs. Um, are you a professor at Columbia, or, or no. do you teach a course? I don't. I but don't. you are an expert on romance and death. And it, it it's a nice compliment to Michael's work. Um, Michael Hebb is here. Let's talk about death over dinner. Uh, because nothing can bring two people closer together than an actual diagnosis. or an a- Even just talking about death. You, you, you talked in the first hour about couples imagining, uh, being held and imagining someone dying or themselves dying. Mm-hmm. Could, you tell, could you tell that again for this second hour? Sure, audience? sure. So I walk people through an exercise often when I give a talk. Uh, it's a meditation, actually, uh, that works well if you're, you know, if you have a partner, actually, that you don't know. That's, mm. that's often how I do it because I want people to feel like they can imagine anybody Okay. And have the choice of that. And if it's somebody that you do know, that can sometimes be distracting yes, from that. where you yeah. can take your mind. So sure. I ask that one person lie on the ground um, while the other person sits up and hold, and they hold hands. Right. And I walk you through um, about a 15-minute meditation where the person lying on the ground imagines as if they are dying and they're taking their last breaths and you're you're all sort of breathing together. So I've done this for groups of 60 or so people yes. um, with 30 pairs. And uh, the person that's sitting up is imagining uh, they're losing somebody that they love. Right. Mm. Uh, where mm. at the end, you think about what is sort of the most important thing that you want to be conveyed to that person that you 
are going that mm. you're losing in in that visualization okay. but also that you will inevitably lose yes right and right. if you are lucky you have the opportunity like you were talking about your mentor who it sounds like knew yeah. that he was going yes, to die soon know. so he, he was having his cucumber juice <laughs> and he was inviting people over Everybody. to have whiskey Everybody. uh which is wonderful yes but we don't all have that opportunity like the caller sure. ada who called in about her friend who was killed suddenly mm -hmm. we yes. just never know right. so uh part of the exercise is the recognition that you think you have all the time in the world with your own self with the people that you love um, or even that you'll get warning and that you'll be able to say, right. I love you and goodbye right. and all of the things that come to mind when you recognize that the end is near. Yeah. But since we don't know that for sure, part of my work in, in that meditation and in general is getting people to do the things that they often wait till the end of their lives to do. Why are we waiting yeah. until life yeah. is almost over uh, right. to love in this way that is wise and rich and deep and based on the fundamental truth that loss is inevitable. I could see the benefit of doing it with a lot of people because if someone is actually gets to it very quickly, they can help the other people in the room. The crying, you know, um, the seriousness of it can really be contagious in a in a room of 60 people. Absolutely, and Whereas it's more by anonymous. Yourself, yes. And by yourself, it can take you a little while to get there. But if you're in a room where people are already there, it can sort of inspire your, if you have a hard time with this, to get to those feelings, Absolutely. get to those thoughts. So having there be 60 or so people, choosing a partner who you don't know, right. even though it's a little awkward at first, um, all of this creates a sense of anonymity. Uh, which I actually think helps people go deeper into their own intrapsychic yes, process. Uh, they don't feel as exposed or as seen. And actually, I've had, I told you in the first hour that a lot of people think about their moms uh, yes, throughout the experience. Yes, I've sure. also had people say, you know, they pair up with someone they don't know, and I allow them after the experience to talk to each other about what that was like before mm. potentially opening it up to share with the group. And I've had a number of people say, that they felt so deeply connected to the person they sure, did it sure. with, even though they were projecting yeah. somebody else yes. onto them. I've had people say that uh, one one person asked somebody out immediately oh. afterwards, oh, really? which <laughs> says a lot about my thesis, uh, which is <laughs> that you feel yes. you instantly uh, have a connection yeah. with somebody based on the common human experience of our most fundamental vulnerability as human beings. And once that um, pathway is sort of opened up, I yes. think there's more of a chance to connect in meaningful ways, specifically around romantic love. Let's have a call or 212-757-5555. In the first hour, I talked about this EMT worker who showed up at a car accident where uh, a man was seriously injured and he asked the EMT worker if he was going to die. And the EMT worker talked about his process and that he actually said, yes, you're not going to make it. And that the person who was in the accident really thanked him. And he just asked him, hold my hand, just be with me. You know. So I see how this exercise could make people fall in love with each other. You know, Because um, there's a zone. You're in a zone with another human being. Um, 
And how beautiful. Different than throwing a baseball together. But right. But very, very different. And talking about really real stuff. And like I said earlier, there's no room for lies when you're talking about death. Again, 212-757-5555. We're here with Michael Hebb. Let's talk about death over dinner. And we're... I have somebody? Yeah. Okay, we have Ann on the line. I'm sorry. And we have <laughs> Ann here. Hi, Ann. Hello. Are you there? Okay, we lost her. Two one two seven five seven five 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 five. But you had a reaction to what I was just saying. Were you thinking something about the zone that people get into when they're? I mean, even at a group table of maybe ten people, is there this aura, this zone of people really in it, talking about death? Yeah, well, I mean, you can you'll take complete strangers that sit down and have one of these dinners, and actually, we heard this as a response to from the dinners that are happening at um, at Sloan Kettering um, that somebody had responded that uh, you know said in, uh, in 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 the survey after the dinner um, that they the those nine strangers now know more about my end of life wishes than my own spouse. Um, and you know, which is just an indicator yeah. of uh, the gap between you know where mm. I think we want to be and where we are mm. um, with this conversation. But it does, and I have you know, I would say just about every time I'm with married couples um, having this conversation, what I hear is that you know a a, res uh, a response that I've never heard that story before to, mm -hmm. you know, about something their spouse shared. Right. Um, and that and that revealing um, is intimacy. It is what Esther talks about. It is the, um, the oxygen that sure. the fire needs, yeah. that we constantly get to know ourselves more, that we constantly reveal more of ourselves to each other step by step. It doesn't mm -hmm. have to be every day. Um, but yeah. but yeah. that is the process that does have us fall in love, um, is that basic human connection. Um, mm. So yeah, I think that I, I mean I've seen it, it. It literally the medicine works. <laughs> you know, it's, we're in the review, we're in the yeah. Yelp review uh, era. And oh yes, and there've been no bad. We have no negative reviews. And over <laughs> two million people have participated. Well, maybe about a million. If we if about a million thousand okay. people, yeah, have okay. sat down to dinner. Um, you know, we we don't track it as closely. That's a conservative effort um, estimate. Right. Yeah. Um, because it's a gift. I mean, that's the other thing. There's no trans oh, you don't, transaction. You don't get paid for this. No. Well, you have to do a, a fun drive with us here yeah. where we're offering a dinner and, and the book and a conversation yeah. with Michael Hebb and Dr. Jordana Jacobs about this, walking people, doing the, doing the steps. Um, it, you know, you can get the steps on, on the website, right, deathoverdinner.org. Yeah. But there's nothing like doing it with people. Yeah. Um, setting it up, planning it, um, maybe talking about your headstone, you know, your gravestone or something <laughs> light to get friends to want to do it. I mean, I could see easily luring people into wanting to do it. Yeah. It's the actual getting to the deeper layers. What's funny, we'll play cards against humanity. Uh, what does that mean? We'll play the game. I don't know if you know this oh, game. Oh, I don't like, know that game. Yeah, so yeah. it's a, maybe one of the most popular games right now. Okay. Cards against humanity. And people say and do very revealing things um, as part of the game. And yet, you know, this this is a little bit, it's very much a game, Death Over Dinner. It's very much like Cards for Humanity. Really? Um, okay, for Humanity. Yeah, okay. yeah. But it's, we've designed it as a board game that anybody can play. We have Ibrahim on the line. 
Hello, Ibrahim. Yes, good afternoon. How are you? Good. A uh, very interesting subject. Um, I, I, I can recall uh, both my grandparents uh, passing at home, and they were very comfortable. My grandfather, I, I actually woke up early one morning with my mother's birthday to find him on the toilet, and I thought he was asleep. And I, I actually shook him. And then I felt his forehead. He was very cold, and, and that's mm. what I ran down the stairs, grabbed my father, I said, yeah, grabbed the pass, and he, he came upstairs and did the same exact thing I did because he looked like he was asleep. He was so peaceful, and it was, you know, it was a beautiful thing. And then um, I can also recall uh, when my father had passed, um, I was overseas, and the minute uh, the plane landed in LaGuardia, I, I actually felt his presence as if he waited, you know, to pass on, I felt this person, as soon as the plane came to the uh, terminal, I, I felt him leave, and uh, the experience of uh, Muslims that, that uh, have the same basic tradition as uh, the Jewish people, where uh, within 24 hours you have to pray over the body, you wash the body, you um, put the, the camphor and the, the uh, frankincense and myrrh oil over the body, and then you wrap the body, and it, it's such a beautiful experience. But um, yeah, death and my mom, her her tradition was at every funeral, okay, gather the family, we all get behind a coffin and take one last photo with with, with the uh, the loved one who has passed on. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, it's just the, the inevitable portion of life that that most people don't want to discuss or maybe afraid to discuss, and and it's the the next phase of life is death. Yeah. And uh, it's I, I guess it's a beautiful thing depending on how you look at it. And uh, you know we've all got to go eventually. You've had some good. Just, you've had some good experiences around this. Um, what would you uh, want people to say about you after you've passed? Well, uh, as long as they're upfront, honest, I, I have no problems on what they say because there's always going to be good and bad. You know, depending on you know who's within your I life. I know, Ibrahim. <laughs> Play with me a little bit. Just uh, humor, humor me. Just give me one nice thing about Ibrahim that uh, you'd, li- uh, you'd like people to, to acknowledge on your death. They can always say that uh, I could always find the humor in, in everything. You know, even if it was serious, you got to find the humor in it. And, uh, you know, yeah. live life. I, I, I love to live life, and I live every day like it was my last. And I, I think I took that experience from my time in the military. I'm glad you shared that with us, Ibrahim. Glad we hung in there with thank you. Thanks you for, for calling. Th- thanks for calling. Thank you so much. And this, uh, like I said, once again, a beautiful subject, and I'll be in touch. Thank you again. Be well. Bye bye. Two one two seven five seven five 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 five. We have a last chance. One more call, maybe, with Michael and Dr. Jordana Jacobs. Um, that was beautiful. Uh, and it's as simple as that, right? You see, you you feel his reluctance, like uh, I don't care, it's all good or bad. But if you dig a little yeah, deeper, just a little bit, we just you know, I got felt like I I, I knew him after he said mm-hmm. said yeah, that. I, absolutely, um, and that's what we see happen at the dinners, or you know, in in many of the different conversations. Um, and I'm hoping, uh, you know, as I mentioned earlier, um, since we are live in New York, yep. um, uh, there there's an opportunity for people to still make the event tonight um, at Memorial Sloan Kettering, um, which will be a pretty unique conversation between a nurse, um, a, a doctor, an oncologist, um, and a, a palliative care nurse practitioner, um, and myself uh, at Memorial Sloan Kettering. What street is that? Um, it is, see I have it right here, 
Um, 430 East 67th Street. It's at the Rockefeller Research Lab. And it's free, and it's open to the public, and it starts at 6. And I would have gone. 67th in New York. 67th in New York. Yeah. I would have gone myself. I mean, it sounds like a great environment to really be with real people. You're going to be talking about real stuff. Yeah. Real stories. If you're looking for a real story on a Wednesday night here in New <laughs> York City, go to Sloan Kettering tonight at 6 o'clock, um, and you'll hear real stuff, and you'll be inspired. You want to carry that energy into your own life. I want to take this with me. Is it going to be filmed? Yeah, it will be filmed. And I would love you to share it with us and yeah. be, have access to it. And it's just the beginning of this conversation, um, of us you know, having this conversation and, and doing these dinners and projects together, both with the... Memorial Sloan Kettering, and, and in a in a large way with the Cleveland Clinic um, as well. So mm. um, it's it, this project has now entered into the mainstream of healthcare, which is incredibly exciting to see that it's. And say the project. The project is talking about death. Oh yeah, death over dinner. Yeah, death over dinner. Dot org. Right. Um, but tonight is is brought on by patients talking, yeah. w- saying we want to talk to our doctors about death. Yeah. Right? So, yeah. I mean, that's part of the Pretty movement, too, right? Yep. yep. Um, so, uh, again, that's at 67th in York, Ben, uh, at 6 o'clock. Real people, you'll get to see Michael and Dr. Jordana Jacobs there. Um, and uh, if you want a copy of their book, 212-757-4488, if we can't take the call now, um, leave a message and we'll call you back after the show. Two one two seven five seven four four eight eight. We're going to take a short musical break. I want to thank you both for being here in the heat. Um, <laughs> what an honor! Uh, but <laughs> Michael, thank you so much. Uh, this book is a great read. I've read it all, and I'm giving it to family members. Mm-hmm. Those people I thought of, um, if I only had five minutes to call. And Dr. Jeanette Dana Jacobs, thank you so much. Thank you for having uh, me. Your YouTube video. I got all of my notes here, and I didn't get to. <laughs> I thought fasting would be a really good way to contact your own death. I'll but bet. But I'll bet. how can they grab the... the uh, I'm not much of a faster, <laughs> which is why I didn't... But you'll see. If you do it, you'll feel like dying. I bet. Uh, but they can look on YouTube for Dr. Jordana Jacobs. Yes, right. and it should pop up. Thank you. Thank you again. Thanks for both of you being here. And thanks to all the callers. Yes, and thank them. Sure. Two, we'll take a musical break, and we'll be right back with you. Oh 
and Young helplessly hoping here on The Positive Mind on 99.5 FM WBAI. I'm Ben Starr here with Kevin O'Donohue. You're tuned into an expanded edition of The Positive Mind. You heard our guest, Dr. Jordana Jacobs, and Michael Hubb, author of Let's Talk About Death Over Dinner. And that's what we're doing today. We're taking an opportunity to discuss a painful topic, a difficult topic, mm. uh, what can be an awkward topic, but a universal topic, a topic sure. that cuts across every single line of what it is to be human Wh- whoever you are wherever you're from yeah wh- whatever your walk of life you know we're all going to go and uh this is an And why not talk about it? Why aren't we talking about exactly, it? You know? Exactly. Exactly. Uh, and so get get past the awkwardness. If you can get past the awkwardness of talking about death, you can get past the awkwardness of just about anything. Just about anything. Yeah. So we're, we we want to open the phone lines to you today and hear from you on this topic. The number to call 212 757-5555. Thanks to those of you who have called thus far. I have Austin on the line. Hello, Austin. Hi. Hey, Austin. How are you today? Okay, how are you? Okay, what's, what's your uh, take on our topic? Well, I, I, I uh, caught you guys halfway through, so this seems to be like I just want to say something about me, which I'm not going to psychoanalyze too intensively for okay. the lack of time. And sure. <laughs> but anyway... Um, you know, I, 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 I've been going to something, uh, I've only been a couple of times, something called Death Cafe. Uh, yes, they're uh, here in New York City for sure. Yeah. And, you know, I, the problem, one problem I have with is this topic is so broad and people come to it from so many different uh, focal points, you know, and backgrounds. I think people have an inherent sort of phobia about discussing anything spiritual or non-spiritual, okay. depending on the person's beliefs or value systems. So, uh, for example, there was one conversation about um, green burial, which is a fine and wonderful thing. I'm I'm all for making this biodegradable and, 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 you know, returning to the earth. But I I think it's not really – that's one of those kind of conversations that to me is is about – the mechanics of it. It's not about the heart and soul. Let me ask you this, Austin. How would you you design three good death cafe – Encounters, meetings. What do you think needs to be talked about, um, and and how could it be a emotionally, spiritually fulfilling experience? 
Give us, a, give, well, us a, give us what you missed and what you want to see at these death cafes. For me personally or how to structure the meeting? Yeah, for you personally. What would be fulfilling to talk about? Oh, okay. I, 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 I would like more of a discussion of things that are personal coming from the heart, which sometimes paradoxically I think is kind of e- should be easier when people are total strangers because it's not the baggage of – you know, the expectations of someone that you know, what are they going to say or think? Oh, I, I agree. So you won't fear of being, being judged at all. Right, right. So right. Give, me, give me one from the heart, one from the heart that touches Austin. Well, for example, fear of death. I, I have, I, I've had through much of, not most of my life, a vague, lingering fear of death. It's not a, and it's not a crippling thing, but yeah. there are some times yeah. when I dwell on it, it's something that's there, and it's and there's some some bit of a shame about it, because I don't personally feel bad, but I know that society will project that you know, well, you know, we're yeah, all going to go there with, anyway. Yeah, What's no, your problem? Hey, I think fear of death is is a perfect opener to a, a session talking about death with strangers. Um, who isn't afraid of death? Um, but it's only by talking about it and seeing the universality of the fear that you can get past it. And I then think, you can I talk think, about living. You can talk about what life means or has meant to you and how you want it to mean going forward. Does that make sense? I, perfect. I, I, I think there's a little machismo inherent in it. You know, I, I was raised in Latin American yeah. culture. Yeah. And I, I think there's certain real inherent taboos around Discussing, discussing this kind of thing because it's like, oh, you know, we're all going to go there. Why bother? No, that's you know? not what this. And, and, did you listen? You didn't listen to most of the show because the, the no, yeah, and that's a shame. But you can get it on the archives, wba.org. But I would recommend the book to you because it does talk about talking about this at fear. But you also, it also talks about creating this for yourself. There's been over two hundred thousand of these death over dinner meetings with over a million people participating and basically the author is saying you have to create your own what three ideas do you want to sit down with loved ones with strangers with people about death and talk about um what's your legacy what do you want people to say about you after you die um what kind of music do you want playing at your funeral so these are things I'm going to uh, plant seeds for you. You can get the book, my, um, Austin, by calling 212-757-4488 to get a copy. Let's talk about death over dinner. But I thank you for the call. We have another. Okay, 212-757-5555 is the number for the studio. We're talking about a tough topic, but um, once you start talking about it, uh, it becomes a real topic. And I think, like I said in the first hour, there's no lying when you're talking about death. I mean, a relationship when you're breaking up, that's a death, right? Um, and that's often the time people can be most real with each other, when they're saying goodbye to each other. It's strange, but, you know, um, uh, Dr. Jordana Jacobs was saying uh, the death of the relationship is the time to reinvent and reignite the relationship and reignite the romance. Imagine that you're not as secure in your relationship as you think you are. I mean, we're given this picture on the news and in the media and in the movies that you pick a partner and you're with them forever. 
and you settle into some kind of security, a.k.a. death, and then the romance goes out of your life. Well, bringing the romance back by talking about death, talking about the possibility of not being with this person anymore, can really re revive the relationship. I think that groups of people, in my experience, who are probably the least afraid of death, Kevin, are those who are overexposed to it amongst their peers. So I'd say notably soldiers yeah. and gang members. Oh, yeah. Right? There's yeah. two groups of people who are wow, very accustomed that, to... Yes. to violent death in many yes. instances and premature death and seem to have the least fear in the face of it. Yes. They've almost become desensitized. Yes, and it's but you've seen gang members resolve not to be part of the gang any longer when they've gone to enough funerals, right? You've seen soldiers talking about the deaths of loved ones, fr friends in the battlefield. That's actually healing. That's the only shot at healing for them. So it's a difficult conversation Difficult emotions come up, but it is the only way, really, to heal. Imagine sitting on those emotions. So 212-757-5555 for the studio, 212-757-4488 for the book. Let's talk about death over dinner. If it's something you want to do with family, with friends, with anybody, you'll be tickled by a lot of the ideas and practices in the book. It is an easy-read book. It's a great book. We have Peter on the line. Hey, Peter. Hello. How are you? Good. How are you today? Uh, I'm good. I, yeah, just, I, just as a little side note, remember that Monty Python, someone mentioned humor a few calls ago. Yes. Monty Python movie called uh, The Meaning of Life. Yes. There's one skit called Death Comes to Dinner. They're having a dinner party, and there's a knock at the door, and it's the Grim Reaper. Right. And I, just a humorous look at it. There it is. I should have asked our guests. They had to leave. They were on their way to Sloan Kettering at 4.30. Oh, it was on the, yeah, yeah, he, why they left. Yeah, they had to go to Sloan Kettering. They're there tonight. <laughs> um, if you're in New York City, you can catch Michael Hebb and Dr. Jordana Jacobs at Sloan Kettering talking about death with an oncologist, a nurse, uh, a few, uh, two or three patients on a stage talking about this initiative that patients have started of talking to their doctors about death. So, you know, it, it, the meaning of life, the movie is hysterical, and yes, that scene where right. death shows up at the door, but death is always at our door, Michael, right, and uh, we, Peter. And we have that huge, that that image of the grim reaper. Yes. And it can be made light of. You know what I just, uh, what I also just thought of is that uh, Alfred Nobel, who invented uh, nitroglycerin, you know why he founded the Nobel Peace Prize? I heard this story that <clears throat> his brother had died, and the newspaper published an obituary mistakenly think it was Alfred Nobel, and it was a real negative obituary. Oh so he got to read his obituary. Oh, right. What and it's like, oh, is this the legacy I'm leaving for? Is this? And so he started the Nobel on, Prize. Thank you, Peter, for that. That's as a that, way of... Uh, wow. That's a you, great... You know, it's like, he, it's that idea of like, fast forward, or, or, or it's like a Christmas carol. What's What's... What's my life in the future? Yes, going to be a, life? right. Isn't that a great gift? And what legacy do I want to leave? So, but what I was going to say was that a good way of getting your toes wet in what's my life going to be like when I die, you could think uh, like writing a will, but even smaller than writing a will was I 
you, you can go to your bank, and it's something called a POD, payable upon death. Okay. And uh, it's like, so just think of like, well, if I'm hit by a car, whatever, who's going to get my money? Yes. So I, I did this, and I thought, well, who who do I trust? You know? Mm. So it was like an exercise of like, well, if you die, who do you want to have your money? So I thought of someone, woman Hannah, I said, I completely trust her. So I went, went with her to the bank, and we filled out a POD. P-U-D, and, uh, P-U-D. Uh, Payable well, they call it POD, okay. uh, payable yeah. on death or something. Yeah. And, um, and in fact, just before calling here, I called the bank, and they don't notify them. That person would have to have, oh, well, have to go to a the death bank. certificate sure, and sure, go sure. there, and then all my money goes to that person. So it was kind of And like why did you pick her? Because she would never betray me, that I completely trust her. There you go. So it's like, if that were an exercise, it's like, <clears throat> okay, who do I completely trust? You know, or that they would do good things with it. Peter, thanks so much for the call. I love it. It's a great idea. It adds to our discussion. Thanks for that call. Bye-bye. Okay, you're listening to The Positive Mind on WBAI. We're taking your calls, 212-757-5555. We're talking about the, when people get real and how people get real and how to turn a negative into a positive. Talking about death is a positive. It's a positive. Only great things can come of it. Um, it's one of these conversations that we all shrink from. Um, but uh, my guests here in the first hour and the first hour and a half talked about the gift that can be had by getting past the awkwardness and finding the language. The book, Let's Talk About Death Over Dinner, is a gift. It's a chance to find the way to talk about death. Uh, we're offering that as a premium today uh, by calling 212-757-4488. Let's Talk About Death Over Dinner. Um, we have a, uh, Michelle on the line. Hi, Michelle. Hi. How are you? Um, unfortunately, I didn't get a chance to listen to a lot of the program, so I don't know if my... That's okay. What I want to say, if it's going to fit in with your trajectory <laughs> you're on, but um, something, um, I don't know, it's almost like um, ever since I was a child, I've had this looming fear of death. I've always been aware of it, and I used to sit and ponder it. And sure. It was just always been around me, like a companion all my life. Mm-hmm. And and I, and it's, uh, so it was something like when I'm, I just turned 51, mm-hmm. And um, and in my 20s, you know, I just was very reckless with my life, almost as if I, like, uh, had experienced, you know, something close to mm. death before, but I, I really hadn't. And, and mm. in a way, it's my whole life has been like, uh, well, I'm going to die anyway, so let's bring it on kind of thing. Yes, and a lot of people live that way. You know, there are lots of people who think, I'm not going to make it to 40, and so I'm just going to burn the candle. Uh, as hard as I can through my 20s and 30s. Yeah, and it's like, now that it's upon me, you know, because I'm physically I'm not in good health no. uh, because of, you know, years of drug abuse and right. things like that. Right. And, you know, and it's weird. It's like, uh, as a woman, it's like, um, you know, I, growing up, you see that a, a, a woman's power is all wrapped up in her physical beauty. Yeah. And... 
at least that's the way I see it. And, well, um, it is it is a cultural issue, for sure. It's do, it's a dominant frame of of thinking, for for sure. Um, yeah, some, so women, like some women, some women, some women transcend that. Yeah. Going forward, mm, mm. not looking good anymore. Yeah. It sounds really superficial, but no, it's not superficial. I think men men worry about it too. But you're right. I think women really have to deal with it. Um, the older you get, also I notice that the more invisible you become yeah. out there in the world. <laughs> yeah, that's another thing. Ageism is is. Uh, pervasive in our culture on all the media and everywhere we go but here's the question for you um michelle what do you want people to say about you if you when you pass and there's a kind of way to live when you think about it um being concerned about your beauty and about aging and about what society values it ultimately comes down to what do you want to be remembered for well you know just I'm I'm a really giving person, and and so I like to be remembered for that. Yeah, doesn't that just make all the other thoughts and considerations seem irrelevant? So I tend to, I even though these notions, these you know, like I said, may be superficial, um, yeah. I don't live that way in terms of you know what I you know, like live day in and day out. Yeah. yeah. You know, I'm always there for other people. And people know that about you, right? They know that Michelle's a giver. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to invite you, Michelle, to, to to look up the book, buy the book. Um, it might be able... You just need people to share um, your own thoughts about this as a cover for getting deeper on other issues with people. Right. Talking about death is a way to actually open the door to conversations about a lot of other things. And you just need to hear from people how they do see you as a giver. That would do some of your healing. So thanks for calling us. Thank you. 212-757-5555. That's beautiful. But it gets down to that, right? The tears are there when you think about how am I with other people. How do I want other people to talk about me? Peter was mentioning Alfred Nobel, who now is known for his humanitarianism his, um, and his Nobel Prize, championing discovery and literature and music and everything else um, because he heard some bad things about him. If people are talking badly about you, here's a chance. I want to turn that around. Um, what's my legacy? What do I want it to be? It kind of cuts through everything else. Um, and so you can arrange your own dinner and talking about death over dinner. Uh, it's a kind of movement. It makes sense, you know, to look at the American kitchen table, the dinner table these days. Um, what's going on there? Is anything going on there? Is that just a block of wood that nobody sits down at? Um, there are ways to make uh, that piece of wood more real in your life um, and and our guest today Michael Hebb made it real by talking about death um, talking about my legacy what do I want people to say about me um, it can lead to so many other conversations if you want the book you can call 
212-757-4488. It's uh, for the fun drive here for BAI. Let's talk about death over dinner. We have another call. We have time for one last phone call, about three minutes. We have Mel on the line. Hi, Mel. Yes, I'll make it very quick uh, because life is short. Yes, know, it and, is. Uh, <laughs> and one day, you know, the old joke, treat every day as if it were your last because one day it will be. Yes, yeah, I, <laughs> I lost my wife suddenly last year, and it was uh, pretty devastating. Yes. But I have to be grateful that she didn't suffer. It was quick and painless. Okay. And then next best thing to a good life is a good death, when you think about it. And as I've gotten older, uh, well, luckily I met a wonderful woman in my senior center after she passed, and I have a great relationship with this new woman now. So, you know, it's seizing the day. Uh, There's a joke in AA, if you have one leg in the future, one leg in the past, you're pissing on the present. And that's why it's called the present, because it's a gift. It is a gift. And if you're not living in it now, as Bob Dole said, you're either busy being born or busy dying. It's a very existential concept. Mm. Mm. And that's the way I've been, you know, that's the only antidote for dying is to make every day count as much yeah. as you can. Yeah. Not easy to do sometimes, you know. You Not easy up, to do, but I bet there's no room for any BS, you know. There's no room for any kind of um, unwanted things between you and your new romance, right? Well, she's 10 years younger than me, and she's very vibrant, and I'm pretty vibrant, but I'm 75, I'm pushing, you know, getting up there, and, and I used to worry more about dying now, I don't dwell on it anymore, and the, the old joke, it's got to be good, because it's, it's the thing they say for last, but well, Woody Allen <laughs> yeah. said a very cute comment, what he said, that? I'm not afraid of dying, but I just don't want to be there when it happens, <laughs> <laughs> Mel, you, that's Woody Allen. You, you have a whole routine here, Mel. <laughs> I got a whole comedy routine, I should do some so what legacy do you want to leave? What do you want them to say about Mel uh, besides that he was be, very funny? He made people I want laugh. to be remembered as somebody funny and giving. And uh, I spent my whole life helping people. I was a social worker, and I and I enjoyed doing that, helping people. Uh, giving giving to others takes you out of your own self, and you forget about your own problems when you're doing a service to others. Oh gosh! And I recommend that highly. Mel, you ended you ended our show on a great call. So. Doing thank service, you. being a social worker, of course, you're out there giving and helping people, so we thank you for that. Yes, and uh, you have one of the better shows on BAR. There's one called In Other News that's insane. They do some talk to aliens who will shapeshift from uh, lizards to people. Yeah. Some of them are pretty far out, right. but you have a, I love your show. I'm a God fearing atheist, too, by the way. Oh, okay. That's the joke, <laughs> <laughs> No, I am. Thanks for taking us out, Mel. <laughs> All right, thank All you. All right, guys. again, the book is Let's Talk About Death Over Dinner. If you wanted a copy of that, you could call 212-757-4488. I recommend it highly. It is a, uh, a tax-deductible donation to WBAI, 212-757-4488. You will not regret it. Start your own conversation with loved ones in your life. There are many ways to, to enter this conversation. What do you want on your gravestone? Get started, folks. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next Wednesday. I told I'll be back here.